today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. To be led by any other means in our life means that we would be led in the wrong direction. Going my way, we find ourselves being led by the desires of the flesh. Going my way, we find ourselves being led by the peer pressure of the world. Going my way, we find ourselves often being led by logic and human wisdom. Whenever we're led by anything other than the Spirit of God, we open ourselves up to fall right into the trap of the enemy. Have you ever been lost and had to ask someone for directions? What about the time you had to ask someone who gave you the wrong directions? At first, you are thankful and excited because you think you are headed down the right road. But then once you get going, you realize it's all wrong. Pastor David today will teach us that it's often the same for us. The enemy will tempt us with things that look really good and seem to make a lot of sense. In the end, however, once you get going, you realize it's nothing but a dead end. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Surrendered Life, part two. invite you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to back up and we're going to read from the beginning of that chapter to again bring everything within the context of what uh, Luke is uh, sharing with us here and the event of Christ's life called the wilderness temptations. Some people say this is the temptations of Christ, but again, you need to understand this isn't the totality of the temptations that Christ dealt with. He dealt with them all of his earthly ministry. In fact, I believe all of his life, even as a child, he was, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, that he was tempted in all things just as we are. So as we look at Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And you'll remember last week we spoke that probably a better structure of the sentence there is since you are, or in light of the fact that you are the Son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are, or since you are, in view of the fact that you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Satan presented to Jesus at this point and at this place three distinct and three separate temptations. In essence, he comes and says, If you're hungry, since you're the son of God, why don't you turn that stone into bread? As we looked last week, there was nothing evil about that other than the fact that it wasn't God-led, it wasn't spirit-led, it was Satan-led. And when Satan comes and gives you a great idea to do, if you understand where it's from, no matter how great the idea is, you need to stop and consider what the source is. The second temptation, he says, if you'll worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. That's a temptation that I believe is thrown out on everyone. That if I just did this, if I just went this way, I would gain more at this time, at this place in my life. And again, as we shared last week, for Jesus, all the world was his. He was all going to be turned over to him at the very end. All the world was going to worship him. And if he would have taken the short course, he would have again gone without going to the cross. And at that point in time, the sacrifice for our salvation would have never been met. The third one here, throw yourself off the tower wall. Prove that God's word is true. Prove that God's word is true. As I told you last week, the battle really isn't about food. It's not about worship. It's not even about self-preservation. The very core of the battle is over self-surrender and self-sacrifice. The willingness to follow God's way instead of your way. It's a battle of self-surrender and self-sacrifice versus our pride, versus our ego, versus our personal recognition or desire for the recognition of man, to get the accolades of man in our life. The whole heart and the whole idea of the Humility that comes in serving Christ. Immediately after his anointing with baptism there that we read about in chapter 3, the Holy Spirit now drives Jesus into the wilderness for this time of temptation with Satan. But as he enters this place, as he enters this time, you need to understand that he's fully equipped. We read it there at the very first verse. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was being led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by any other means in our life means that we would be led in the wrong direction. Going my way, we find ourselves being led by the desires of the flesh. Going my way, we find ourselves being led by the peer pressure of the world. Going my way, we find ourselves often being led by logic and 
human wisdom. Whenever we're led by anything other than the Spirit of God, we open ourselves up to fall right into the trap of the enemy. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And beloved, that's the kind of life that we're called to emulate, to be filled with the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And that's for every one of us. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, you are Lord of my life. You are King of my life. I will follow your leading. I'll follow your direction. And isn't that the battle that each one of us have every day? To be faithful to that commitment to the Lord rather than fall back into the things of the flesh. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Very familiar proverb probably for many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. How do I know what God wants me to do in my life? Trust in the Lord with all of my heart. Don't lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge him and he will direct my path. As powerful as those two verses are, the following two verses in that same chapter of Proverbs also speak to us. Verse seven says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, if we were to take those four verses, join them together, and I'm going to read it to you again because I want to pound it into all of our heads one more time. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Beloved, if we have those four verses for each one of us, if, I mean, if we just say, you know, that's, that's my life verses. That's the direction I want to live. It's the focus of my life. Again, the strength that we would have over the temptations of the flesh and of the world and of every other distraction that would come our way would be multiplied tremendously. We would have the power within our lives to be able to get the victory over temptations that so many times we fall, again, victims to. Not my way, but in all of my ways, acknowledging him. Again, living our lives for his glory. Most often, most often, the battles that we lose to temptation is because we're trying to fight them in our own strength. We're trying to fight them in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And as we looked last week, the the first two of the three temptations that Satan threw at Jesus, we saw that Jesus battled against the tempter and against the temptation using the very same methods that you and I have. Remember, I said, he didn't just pull out the God card and say, oh, I've got power over you. No, in his humanity, he fought against those temptations the same way that you and I have available to us through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and again, being committed to the Word of God in his life. But we also need to remember, it's not just quoting some scripture that we've memorized in our head, some quoting a scripture to the devil or at the temptation that brings us the victory. We see today in the third temptation, the devil knows scripture too. What we need as individuals is we need to, number one, be obedient to the Word that we know, 
And we need to make that personal application within our lives in order that we will see the victory. Satan came to him saying, command the stone to be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It wasn't just some favorite passage that Jesus was quoting. That was the lifestyle that he was committed to, living by every word of God. He lived his life from earliest childhood on through his crucifixion. He lived his life for the glory and for the honor of the Father. Satan came to him saying, if you will worship me, all of the things of this world I'll give to you. And Jesus answered him said, get behind me, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And again, these weren't just empty words that he learned to memorize back in Sunday school or, I guess, uh, synagogue school or wherever it was. No, it wasn't just something that he had in his head. It was the very purpose. It was the very intent of his life. And throughout the gospel records, we see this in both his actions and we hear it in his words, that that was the intent, that was the purpose of his life, to live his life for the glory of the Father, for the very word of God. We read throughout the gospels as Jesus tells his parents back when he was 12 years old, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus speaks to his disciples when they think, well, you must be very hungry, here's your food. And he says, you know what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus declared, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus says, I don't seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. He declares, I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. That's an interesting one right there. As the father taught me. Wait a minute. Is, I thought he was God. He is God in the human flesh. But even as he grew in human flesh, the truth of that word, again, being made a part of his humanity, part of his life. He says, as the Father taught me, these are the things I speak. He also says, I have glorified the Father on earth. I have finished the work which he sent me to do. And then at the very end, there in the garden, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. It's the infilling and it's the leading of the Holy Spirit through the obedient personal application of the Word of God in our lives and a life that's wholly surrendered to the will of God that will see ongoing and consistent victories in our lives. Are you being beat up by sin? Are you being beat up by the flesh? Does Satan sometimes seem like he's got a hook in your jaw and he's just pulling you wherever he wants you? Maybe you need to get back to the basics of our Christianity, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, obedient personal application of the Word of God as you're growing in the Word and surrendering your life to His will. Father, keep us from living life our way, living life that's only for our good pleasure, that we would be the ones who kneel, the ones who seek His face, that desire his way, desire his purpose. As we look at this third temptation found in verses 9 through 11, we see that Satan's not finished. You guys realize, don't you, that Satan is never finished. He is continually at work. He works 
25 hours a day, eight days a week, 53 weeks a year. And some of you are looking at me and say, Pastor, you got your numbers all wrong. Oh no, he works overtime, okay? There's not a day or an hour that he takes off. So it's just overtime. He's continually looking for ways to trip us up, to distract us, to take us off course, to defeat us, to discourage us. He's always looking for those opportunities. He is not easily distracted from the direction of his life, his desire to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so he comes at Jesus now this third time. This time he's using scripture. He comes in verse 9, as we read, he brought him, Satan brought Jesus then to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. You've got to realize that during this time, there's some, there's some supernatural things that are going on, even in the second temptation. It says he, he brought him up on a high mountain and, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. There's a spiritual event that's going on, a supernatural event. Even here now, he's taking him from the wilderness back up to Jerusalem, setting him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And as he's there, he says to Jesus, since you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. You see, Jesus had been speaking to him. No, it's written. No, it's written. And now he can, oh, well, okay, you're going to use scripture. I'll use a little scripture. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan here is quoting from the Old Testament from Psalm 91. And again, just as he does in the garden, either through a misquote or pulling out of context or using both, he abuses the truth of the scripture. In twisting and in distorting the truth, Satan wants Jesus to put the Father to the test. And yet the test is not according to the Father's will or to his word. It's according to scriptural twisting and the interpretation and the desire of Satan. Beloved, the word of God says a multitude of things. And you can go through and you can pick a little here and pick a little there and make it say just about anything that you want it to say if you take it out of context. The problem comes when people use the word of God and twist it and make it say what they want it to say for their own benefit rather than let it speak for itself in the context of the message. That's one of the reasons why I am determined in this ministry that we share the word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book to keep it within the context of what it is declared, what it's been given to us. That's one of the reasons why Tot does the same thing in her Bible studies. That's why Christine, uh, as she's teaching the inductive Bible study, again, helping to know what is the interpretation of that and then the application all within the context, how important that is. Now, I'm not totally against topical teaching. You need to understand that. There is a time and there is a place for topical teaching, but make sure that in that topical teaching, it remains true to the context to which it's written. The problem is, is many times a little bit of truth is actually more dangerous than a lie. A lie, we would say, whoa, I'm, no, no. But when somebody comes in and they mix a little bit of truth in it, then we start saying, oh, well, maybe that is true. 
After all, they quoted scripture with it. I've used the illustration before. I'll use it again because you probably forgot. No, actually, because it's a good illustration. If I came to you, and, and for those of you who are carnivores, you, you eat meat. For those of you that are vegetarians, this is not going to touch you. So for those of you that enjoy a, a good steak now and then, if I came to you with a perfectly grilled, perfectly seasoned uh, ribeye steak, and man, you're just smelling that thing, just, oh, that, that's absolutely wonderful. It's still sizzling on the plate as I hand it to you, and you're getting ready to dive in, and it's cooked just the way that you want it. And I tell you, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying that steak. I I just want to let you know, I mixed a little arsenic in with the seasoning on that. I hope you don't mind. Now, would you still eat that steak? Absolutely not. How foolish that would be. No, if I ate that, it would, it would poison me. And the problem is, there's so many teachers that are around today that give a lot of truth, and then they continue to put error in the midst of that truth. There's some teachers that are around today that much of what they're giving is actually mainly arsenic and very little good food. You can look at just about every major false cult, and many of them will tell you that their teachings are based on the word of God as they interpret them. And of course, their interpretation comes through their own special teachers or their prophets who understand these things more completely. It's easy for us to look at, say, the, the theology of the Latter-day Saints, the, the Mormons. And we realize they, they've twisted in many cases, they've ignored the word of God and they've added to it their own writings. And they declare that they have another testament which takes precedence over the counsel of this word. As a matter of fact, though they say they believe this word, very seldom is any of their teachings coming from this word. And very few actually know this word. I shared with you, it wasn't too long ago, a couple of young Mormon missionaries came to my house, and as I was chatting with them, I asked them, well, let me ask you, have you ever read even the New Testament? One of the guys says, no, I haven't. I'm studying, you know, their books. And the other guy says, well, I, I started to, but uh, I, I'm not through it all the time. So the basis of their understanding isn't on the word of God. It's on the theology of Mormonism. It's easy for us to look at the, the theology of Jehovah's Witness and see where they've left the clear teachings of the Word of God and they wrote their own interpretation of the Bible uh, to fit it with and to agree with their own theology and their own false doctrines. When we, doing our study back in First and Second Peter, in Second Peter we found that Peter was warning the church, even the first century church, you know what? False teachers are going to come in and they're going to actually come up from within the household of faith, from within the church. And they're going to come and they're going to distort and twist the truth. Peter writes to the church and he says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he's talking to the church. 
And they'll come and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Do you understand that? Even at the first century church, Peter says, many are going to follow their destructive ways. And we see that still today, many following their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth, the truth of God's word, will be blasphemed. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.